Welcome to Room for Growth. A Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. All right, we're excited. I say that every time. I ever I open everything with we're excited, but serious. We're pumped up about our guest today. We've got like an analytics celebrity on the podcast today, which I know we've been looking forward to. We also have one of our, our teammates who leads our analytics practice that'll be joining us. And one of the reasons we've been pumped up about this, not just because of our guest, uh, Billy, but we've been talking so much about like CDP and loyalty and messaging. We haven't really spent a lot of time talking about analytics on the podcast so far, and it's we've been kind of clamoring to get into some of this stuff. So no better than starting with one of our favorite analytics platforms as our guest today. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to talk about a really important person, Adam Greco. He's basically a celebrity in the analytics world. He kind of made shockwaves when he left Adobe Analytics, which was a platform he helped build. He's the person who gets credited with like writing the book on Adobe Analytics. And he left and he went to Amplitude. Amplitude, it surprises me, is still a relatively unknown name in the analytics space, even though I think they're doing some of the most breakthrough things in terms of technology for measurement and business transformation. So Amplitude, for folks who don't know, is designated as a product analytics tool. So it's fundamentally different than Google Analytics in some way. It is much more similar to like an Adobe Analytics But like all best-in-class providers, it was built after the dawn of the iPhone. So it was made specifically to solve some mobile challenges that Google doesn't solve. And it was also meant to be this really great crossover tool to help both marketers and product developers and strategists work together, have the same baseline metrics. It's also just a very fundamentally easy platform to share internally or to use as a place to explore data. So let me break that down. It does a few things uniquely. First and foremost, it lets you track journeys through a product ecosystem. So that could be everything from what did somebody click on first in an app? And then where did they go next? And then where? And then where? And then where? Like kind of a classic journey. But it also lets you track down to an individual user level, not using their personally identifiable information, but you could hypothetically look at a single person if you wanted to at pre-authenticated to post-authenticated state. So pre-login to post-login. That's a really important feature for some industries, specifically financial services or anywhere where there is like a single sign-on experience, because that's often a place where you just can't tell who lands on the sign-in page and then doesn't make it through or where do they go next. It also lets you track across web to app. So you can see who started on a website and then moved to the app, either through a deep linking experience or because they downloaded the app. So it just gives a much more robust view of journeys. It also lets you create audiences and segments. So it lets you tag and characterize different users you might want to look at and what their behaviors are by certain filtering criteria. And then you compare those audiences directly into platforms like Braze. It syncs perfectly with your customer data platform. So it creates this logic around audience segmentation, how you create insights into performance of that audience what their journeys are through your product in a much more robust way. And then it's done in things called notebooks, which allows you to actually put like notes and context next to different types of dashboards. So in terms of business intelligence and what you're able to create for an executive to have a certain view of the data they need, 
for both the performance of your digital products, the performance of your marketing campaigns, the performance of your audiences, et cetera, versus what you might create for just like your app development team versus your marketing generalist. Like there's a ton of flexibility. Yeah. One of the things as you're talking, I mean, there's so much there. Obviously, it's it's a robust platform. One of the things that I'm, I'm continually surprised is it's like a mix of I'm surprised, but then I also get the challenge that that businesses are in as we run into building digital products for particularly consumer retail brands who are overhauling an experience. The amount of let's wait on analytics types of platforms that I see clients just naturally going to of like, okay, let's build the thing. And we don't really need to like worry about the analytics platform yet. And then later on, we'll measure later. It really surprises me around that mindset. And we've talked a ton about like the order of all these things. I'm sympathetic or I empathize with clients because there's so many freaking decisions to make and so many things to build. But it seems a little backwards or not smart to wait on the analytics platform because you're going to want to start measuring right away, right from the ground up. Is that where your head goes? Yeah, it's 100% true. So I'm going to steal a line from our second guest who's co-hosting with us today, Jeremy Stern, who leads our analytics practice. First of all, he's just a genius across platforms, and he helps build the architecture for measurement into many of our products. So that's one of the differences between what we might call an analyst and an analytics architect is he really understands what fundamentally do you have to build to properly measure a user's behavior and what their value is. So he has a line that I think is really important, which is today, it's no longer about which analytics platform you use. It's analytics platforms. Almost all businesses need more than one tool to do measurement. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for the state of the industry and some opportunities for consolidation with Adam. But you need Google Analytics. You also need product analytics. You also potentially need a data visualization tool. You also potentially need X, Y, and Z. So first, if there's one thing we can do, it's break the mindset that you just need one thing to do everything. That might someday be the case, but it's unlikely. And second of all, if you're building any kind of product, if you're building any marketing campaign and you're relying on basic analytics that just tell you things like the performance of an open rate versus a platform that allows you to understand, for instance, did somebody not only open our email, click on it, but then convert? You are going to fundamentally be left with business questions that you can't answer. So I think there's two impetuses here. One is around be mindful that all leaders need answers to business questions before they can justify the spend. So think ahead enough to understand like, what questions are you going to get asked to defend the existence of the product or the campaign that you're building? And then two, if you don't have good measurement from the beginning, you are not going to be able to start building muscles around testing or around optimization or around making smart decisions about how you segment your creative and where you put your best effort for your fans. Not having that information is going to stall your maturity as an organization. And so I don't know which is most meaningful. One, being in a hot seat and having somebody say, hey, of the emails that we're sending, which ones are actually driving conversion or how much lift did X and Y, Z cause or does anyone actually care about that feature or why should we install a chat bot? Will it drive business for us? That's reason enough. Yeah. But two, you also just won't be able to make good strategic decisions or understand how to optimize to your audience without it. Yeah, no, no, well said. And 
we get into a lot of these types of conversations. I, I feel like in our conversation uh, with Adam, it's like, wow, I wish we had another hour to kind of keep pounding him with the questions. And you mentioned Jeremy, who's one of our colleagues who we work closely with, the poor guy. He's brilliant in this craft, but he had to be sandwiched between Billy and Billy. And so the poor guy can't get a, a word in. So I think we're almost just like next time I'll have to step away and let Jeremy come in. So I don't continue to interrupt him. So his patience with us is admirable as we uh, continue to pound Adam with questions. I'm looking forward to people here. We have two guests today. So it's a special day uh, on this episode. We're going to dive deep into analytics. I'm going to start first with our guest from Willow Tree, Jeremy Stern, who leads our analytics practice here at Willow Tree. Jeremy, welcome to Room for Growth. We're so excited to have you as a guest co-host on today's episode. Real quick, before I introduce our main guest, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. You already covered it pretty well, but my name is Jeremy Stern. I'm Director of Analytics and Optimization here at Willow Tree. I've been here a little over seven years and have seen Willetry grow, seen our analytics practice grow, seen the industry change a great deal, but one constant the whole seven and a half years I've been here has been uh, thought leadership in the space from our other guests today. So very excited about this conversation. Yeah, same. And so our guest today, without further ado, Adam Greco. Adam, welcome to the pod. And uh, we're pumped up to have you and, and share your expertise with our listeners. To kick us off, would you mind just introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Adam Greco, and I am a product evangelist at Amplitude. My background is I've been in the digital analytics space for over 20 years. I started when I ran a website at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and didn't understand why the heck we had a website and threw some little JavaScript code on it, a little company no one ever heard of called Omniture. And ended up being one of the first customers and then liked the product so much that uh, they hired me and said, listen, you're doing cool things with this. We got to get more people doing what you're doing. And ended up in the consulting group there. They got bought by Adobe. I did consulting on that product. I wrote the book on that product. And basically, I've been through probably more digital analytics implementations because of my roles than I think anyone in the planet and joined Amplitude uh, about a year ago. So really excited to be here and happy to share anything I've learned in the last 20 years. That was a very humble intro, I'll say. And for folks who don't understand how much fanfare came from your recent career move from Adobe into Amplitude, it made some headlines. It was a big move, certainly. So will you talk to us a bit about how you went from consulting at Adobe to doing evangelism and from marketing analytics to product analytics at Amplitude, what really spurred that for you? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of a long answer, but I'll do my best. So after 20 years of doing marketing analytics, mainly around the Adobe product, I started seeing that there were some secular trends in the industry where, first of all, there was a big model change happening. A lot of companies were going from a session-based model to more of an event-based model. You could see this in the recent sunsetting of Google Analytics moving to GA4. Adobe was moving from their platform to another version. And I started seeing more and more marketers kind of lose digital analytics under their purview. And it started moving to the product team. 
And it was interesting because I noticed on LinkedIn, a lot of the people who I trained on Adobe Analytics were now in a product role. They used to be head of marketing analytics. Now they're head of product analytics. And I started wondering what was going on there. And more and more companies that I was talking to were using one analytics product on their website, but then they were using another analytics product on their mobile app. And that product more often than not that I was running into was Amplitude. And so I started getting curious and then found that there were a couple ex-Omniture people who I worked with in the early days over at Amplitude. So I called them up and I said, what's going on here? And they're basically like, we're in the middle of a new revolution and digital analytics is moving from the marketing world to the product world. And I'm sure Adobe and Google will still be there for a long time, but this is a new trend. And I, when I joined Omniture, I was told my first week, they're like, we're probably never going to beat the big gorilla in our space called web trends, but we're going to try. And years later, web trends was demolished by Omniture. And I always like being at kind of the new and emerging thing. And I'm, I'm kind of towards the end of my career. And I was like, you know what? What have I got to lose? Let's go try something fun. Let's go see if we could make Amplitude the best analytics product that's ever been made. And I knew that if I could bring my marketing analytics experience to the product analytics world, we could really make like a super product. So that's kind of what drove me over here. But it was definitely a weird move. I had a lot of people in the industry being like, who the heck is Amplitude? Never heard of this company before. And why are you throwing away all your expertise in Adobe Analytics? And I was like, you know what? I've been doing this for 20 years. I'd like to try something different. And I always feel personally... If you're not growing and learning, like you just life gets boring and, you know, life's too short to do the same thing over and over again. Adam, what surprised you most as you uh, jumped from big Adobe into Amplitude? Is there kind of one or two things that jumped out as like, whoa, this is I wasn't expecting this in your initial phase there? Yeah, I'd say the biggest shock to me, well, a couple of them. One was just how few people had ever even heard of product analytics. Some of your listeners may know of a, a gentleman by the name of John Cutler, who's one of my colleagues, and he's a very prolific voice in the product analytics space. I had never heard of John Cutler. And what's funny is when I have a pretty large LinkedIn network, and John Cutler has a massive LinkedIn network, when I first joined, we had 85 LinkedIn connections out of a minimum of 20,000 connections. And what was the big shock to me is how the product world is completely separate than the marketing world, especially when it comes to analytics. And I started meeting with people and I realized that marketing teams barely talk to their product team counterparts. And some reason, some cases, the only reason that they're separated is because one is working on a website and one is working on a mobile app. But if you think about it, customers don't give a crap if they're on the website or the mobile app. Like They just want one cohesive experience, but it becomes so apparent to them that there's one team running the website and one team running the mobile app. And what was even weirder to me is how prevalent it is that organizations are using different digital analytics products on web versus mobile app. And I knew that it was different because I didn't knew mu know much about Amplitude and its competitors, but I didn't realize how big that gulf was 
and that there's actually some like almost like animosity between marketers and product teams. I'm sure Jeremy has seen some of this as well. It's interesting. We've actually, because even though they're using different tools and there's different teams, the web team needs analytics, the marketing team needs analytics, the app product team needs analytics. And so we tended to be one of the only resources that was put on both work streams for our clients. And we sometimes found our ta- ourselves running workshops or running meetings ostensibly to align on a roadmap, but also just to get those teams in the same room at the same time for the first time using kind of analytics as the Trojan horse to just say, product and marketing, we need you all to be aligned. And then the fringe benefit is then we also align on a unified data strategy, but it was an uphill battle. Yeah, you almost sometimes feel like a therapist. Like yes. I would be do consulting projects where I was bringing together these groups and it's like they never talked to each other or seen each other. But I do think one of the cool things about our industry is that data is like the one unifier. It is one thing that every group has in common and they can all agree that they both need data and that they want to make a better customer experience. The problem is many times they're using different data sources. But that was a long answer. I apologize. But that was kind of the biggest thing that I learned is that big gulf between product and marketing. And I've kind of made that my mission to bring that together. I will always remember this moment to your point, Adam, where I was in a room with Jeremy at a major, major financial institution. And Jeremy had taken basically the user journey to open an account at this financial institution and every touch point that was tracked. And he'd blown it up on this huge sort of almost like user journey timeline. And he brought in marketing, product, web, app. And he said, let's align on what the definition of conversion to an account means. Is it when they hit submit to their application? Is it when that application actually lands in their backend system? Is it when it's approved from the backend system and the email fires to let that new customer know that their account's been open? It was amazing how many different definitions about such a core business need existed. And it's interesting when you try to think about like, what is the maturity both of people process and tools when it comes to analytics? So I'm curious from your perspective, what is the state of the state right now? What industries are becoming much more mature in their use of data? And what industries are really struggling to catch up or they're lagging because they're unwilling to either get new tech, train their people, fix their processes? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit all over the board, but I will tell you that one of the cool parts of joining Amplitude is that we do have a lot of cool Silicon Valley type customers. You know, when I was in the Adobe world, I spent a lot of time with the large Fortune 500 companies. And and don't get me wrong, like Amplitude works with those companies, loves, you know, wants to work with those companies as well. But when you talk to like a DoorDash or a Peloton, like Peloton is a great example where they have a stationary bicycle, which is not a, a revolutionary concept. But what really makes it revolutionary is the digital experience that goes with it. And they power that by amplitude. And they're looking at how do we make make it sticky, make it addictive. And so when you look at that team, it's almost like they wear multiple hats and they don't have this fight between product and marketing. Like they're just like, We use data. We need to make a better experience. And I think that sometimes the complexity of large organizations where you've got teams of people, they put up silos and it's just, it's hard to get things done. So I would say that the smaller kind of more agile startups are kind of leading the way. And I've always found that that trend will then work its way through 
the Fortune 5. And I think it's going to get there. But I kind of feel like it's a canary in the coal mine situation, what, what we're seeing at Amplitude. And there's just some massive trends that are emerging right now with data collection, databases, warehouses. And I look back at some of my old clients who are have been using the same stack for 10 years. And I'm like, wait till you see what's coming and wait till you see what you're going to have to adapt to. It's kind of like digital analytics 2.0, if you will. Uh, but there are other industries. I'll say the financial services industry has always been kind of on the cutting edge of digital analytics. You wouldn't think it, but they take a lot of risks. One of our clients, PayPal, is doing some of the most amazing things that I've ever seen a company do with digital analytics. And I do think that the growth marketer, even though I kind of hate that term, but the growth marketers are really leading the way in some respect because they kind of have wear two hats. They have kind of the product hat and the marketing hat. And a lot of times they're being forced to do two roles. And so obviously they don't want to use multiple products to do, you know, that would be like schizophrenic for them. (laughs) So you're mentioning the rise of the product team, even in the Fortune 500 space. What do you think is causing that now? I mean, Amplitude at their conference earlier this year had a whole track about the rise of the chief product officer. Do you think it's that canary in the coal mine that they're seeing what these upstart younger companies are doing and realizing they need to catch up? Or is there another force that's causing those teams to grow in power? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I actually think there's one other trend that is working its way through. So if you think about it, why did digital analytics why was it housed in the marketing department for the first 10 to 15 or 20 years? If you, you, And this is where some of the younger people in the industry don't understand it. And it's kind of like one of the benefits, one of the few benefits of being an old man like me is if you think about it, it started in the marketing space because digital analytics as an industry started because people wanted to buy digital ads, mainly on Google, and understand how they were performing. So that's why Google gave away analytics for free, because they wanted to make sure that people could buy more ads. So in the beginning, marketers were using digital analytics to really rate the performance of campaigns. Then it got bigger and bigger and bigger, but it was always underneath the marketing department. But this the other trend that's happening is tracking marketing campaigns and digital campaigns is becoming harder and harder because cookies are being deleted. Browsers are deleting cookies. GDPR is out there. So the ability to do accurate reporting on customer acquisition, which was like the bread and butter of marketing, is slowly being taken away from them. And what does that mean? If you can't figure out exactly how you're finding people, that you can't control. But what is the one thing you can control? Once they get to your website or your app, you want to be damn sure that they have a really good experience and so much so that they come back over and over again. Well, marketers, that's not their purview. That's the product team. It used to be the IT team. Now it's the product team. But their job is to retain people, make the app better, make the website better, all of that. And so that you can control. And so I think because marketing acquisition has gotten weaker and weaker, it's moved over to the product team that says, listen, this is what we can control. This is what we want to focus on. And I think budgets are following. If you could prove that every Google keyword was making you millions of dollars, like marketing would still be in charge, but you can't prove that anymore. So I think people are sticking to what they their gut is telling them is the right places to put their money. And that's the product team right now. 
But at the same time, when you talk about marketing teams, Adam, one of the unique things about Amplitude, especially for older marketers who remember managing audience segments in Excel spreadsheets where you have thousands of rows of data, most young marketers, I don't think, see that traditional CRM structure anymore or understand how difficult it can be to keep your audience segments compiled in that way. But that's something that Amplitude actually does really well in addition. It mimics the traditional structure of CRM and how it creates audience segments and allows you to create segments that stay consistent across your owned channel and then into your product experience. And then in terms of how you measure and you dashboard any sort of results that you're looking at. So I think that's another unique component about Amplitude is in my mind, it's not just analytics traditionally, how many impressions, how many people from where and what are they doing? But the ability to see results splayed out by segment and then transfer those segments immediately into the paid media and into your email, into your own channel so that there's consistency. I just don't see any other tool in market really doing that well. So I think that's just another reason why Amplitude plays so well in this product and marketing space is it creates a level of consistency that's hard to match. Curious what your sense is of that. Yeah, and and that's a great point. And, And that's why we came out with a CDP product and it's kind of a joke internally is we've always been a CDP. Like we've always had audiences. We've always done identity resolution. And we believe that the best way to create an audience is not just to make it up out of thin air, but to actually do analysis, find people that are falling out or whatever, save that as an audience and then take action on it. But if you think about a CDP, it's identity resolution, data collection, making audiences, and then being able to easily ship those audiences out to other partners or other databases. We were doing all of that. We just weren't really getting credit for it. So we're like, okay, we're a CDP now. And we kind of almost like resisted it because CDP is such a loaded term. Everyone is a CDP now. But you're absolutely correct. Making it easy to ship audiences out to other systems is not something that's native to a lot of digital analytics products. And the other thing that's interesting is we are not a CRM system, but Amplitude does have a user profile, which is so unique because it doesn't exist in the Adobe world. It doesn't exist in the Google world, is actually having a profile where you could see everything that a particular user did. And you could augment that profile by using an API to add other information to the profile. could be offline, store data, anything you want. And you could use a different API to extract that information. And so having that one profile is really powerful and it makes those audiences just even richer. And for me, what's really fun is demoing our product where we can do an audience where some of the audience definition happened online and some of it happened just totally offline. It just was from our CRM system, but they can still see the online behavior of those people mixing those different attributes. And I think that's kind of where the industry is going to go. And just having a digital analytics product that can't do audiences, that can't easily send those out, I think those are going to kind of eventually fade away. So Adam, what you just made me think, so Billy and I were just recently talking about a like a most frequently asked question that we get. Um, we hear it consistently and, and over and over in, in client meetings. And it's this, what part of the stack do we need now? What should we start with and what can wait? You know, everybody's looking at budgets and if a brand has taken the best in breed, best in class decision, they've decided to go with that approach. And we get this question, should we wait on CDP? Should we start with CDP? Uh, do we need a, can we just get by with a basic analytics platform and t- for a little while? 
And I'm curious if you have a perspective on that, especially as now Amplitude's kind of crossing over into not just being, you know, an analytics platform, but a CDP. I would love to hear if, if you have any gut reactions. And of course, it all depends on a particular business's situation. But generally, what do you think? Yeah, well, the, the one warning I always give people when I talk about CDPs is there's no point in investing in a CDP if your only mission is just to collect all the data. You really want to figure out what are the use cases that you're building the CDP for. You know, is it for remarketing to people who left stuff in the card? Is it a form abandonment? I think you've got to come up with those use cases and that will drive a lot. But I'd say that to your question, like if I were out there working at a company today, some of the things I would think about is my normal tech stack would be having a CDB product, like a, a segment or an particle that's collecting all my data. Then I would have an analytics product that's sitting on top of that, that's doing analysis and audiences and so on. And then I'd have some campaign products like a Braze or an Iterable where I'm sending those things and obviously an experimentation product. The easiest way to slim down your stack and to save a little bit of money is to take out the CDP part. And we jokingly internally call this a CDP tax. But if you think about it, if you collect your data in a CDP, I'll just use segment as an example, you're paying segment for every data point that's collected. But then if you send that data to Amplitude, guess what? You're paying for that data again. But if you were to collect the data in Amplitude, then you'd pay once for that data. So right there, you're cutting your costs almost in half. Now, do you do digital analytics first and CDP second or CDP first and digital analytics? It, that doesn't really matter to me, but I don't, I think we're moving towards a world where you shouldn't need to have a CDP and an analytics. Like that should all just be part of one system. And I wrote a blog post about what I called the converging technologies in the digital analytics space. And I believe that five years from now, you're going to have marketing analytics, product analytics, experimentation, normal thing about it, like what would it be a CDP for like data collection? And possibly, this is the one I'm not sure about, but possibly what I call experience analytics, which is kind of like your session replay and your heat maps. I think all five of those technologies just naturally go together. And I think a company, I see companies today that are using five different products for those five technologies that I just mentioned. When I believe five years from now, you should expect that you could use one vendor for all of those. I mean, there's enough things we have to connect Snowflake and all these other places. Like you don't need to have 20 vendors in your stack, but I think those are the ones that I would focus on and just obviously pick which one's more important for you. If you're not doing testing, skip that one. If you don't have the people to do session replay, skip that one. But I think analytics is what powers everything. And that's why, like, even if you look at Adobe and other companies, the one product that anchors everything is analytics because that's the one that tells you what's going on and it helps you to build your audiences, build your experimentation, see how your experimentation is doing and so on. So that kind of is the core center that I would focus on first for sure. I think it is very interesting that in that convergence, you did not talk about AI. So one question that we also get a lot from clients or And it's almost a frustration. It's both a question and a frustration. Like either we get clients who are really excited about AI and the potential for AI in terms of decision-making for the experience that they peddle out to their various audiences and customers. And then we get a frustration that even when you invest in a product like Amplitude or a CDP and a Braze, I think some clients are 
caught off guard about how much brain power still has to go into thinking about the intentional strategy for each of your audiences and ultimately the experience you want to build for them. I always tell customer or our clients that until your data is in a really good and healthy spot, until you are good at thinking about what your strategy is for building your experience for your various audience, until you're good at measuring the impact of the experience you've built on the behavior, you really have no business giving the lack of brain power a brain of its own to make decisions for you. But I'm curious if it was intentional that you did or did not include AI in what's sort of converging in the analytics space in tech. Yeah, well, I'll answer that a couple of different ways. First of all, I don't think of AI as a product and the other ones I was mentioning are more like, literally you can go to a vendor and buy that product. I look at AI as something that's like a service that is like within each of those products and underlying it. But I totally agree with you. And the analogy that I would give is like, I think if you think of like exercising, there's like, I can run 10 miles. And then when I get really good, I can run a marathon. Then if I get really good, I can do an Ironman, you know, like you kind of work your way up. I almost look like a, I think of AI as like the Ironman. And most people can barely run a 5K at this point. <laughs> and there's so, even after all these years, and I'll give you a couple examples. If you ever go to a website and you open up the website and then open up the same website in a browser incognito mode, 95% of the time, you will see the same experience in the in incognito mode as normal. Now, we've been doing this, what, 25 years? That means we're not even personalizing websites based on past behavior. Yet we want to have AI do automated journeys based on artificial intelligence. Like we're just not there yet. And I think AI is a little bit, people get a little bit lazy, just like, I don't want to do work and I want to do stuff. But there's so much low hanging fruit out there in the digital analytics space. And I go back to that use cases, figure out what are the use cases. And instead of saying, we got to spend a year doing this massive implementation, pick one use case set a couple events, a couple properties, integrate it with another vendor and say, hey, we just launched a new thing at our company. We're using Amplitude and Braze. We can now make sure that anyone who does this but doesn't do this is going to get an email and we're going to track it to see how that does. I mean, I can't tell you how few companies can even do something as simple as that today. So it's like the more advanced we get, the more I think you got to go back to the basics. And I'm just shocked at the state of affairs. I mean, people have terrible implementations. They don't trust the data. There's just a lot of mess out there. And so I kind of laugh when people are like, yeah, we just got to do AI. I'm like, listen, we're not there yet. And you're, you're like leaping ahead, way ahead. To the idea around use cases, Adam, we love to try to balance the idea that we're digging into really complicated topics, but want to make sure that we are demystifying these terms that get used, especially in tech firms all the time. If you were working with a client and you were saying, you need to write your use cases and here's how you do it, take us one level deeper. What's an example of a use case and how many should somebody who's considering embarking on this type of digital transformation, how many use cases should you have? How do you write one of them? What's an example of one? Give us like kind of the kindergarten level of where to start on this. Yeah, this is what I did in my consulting all the time. And I'll tell you a funny story. A company would come to me and say, we have spent over a million dollars on an analytics implementation and no one's getting any value from it. I would look at all of the data they're collecting and I would do this thing I call digital analytics jeopardy. I would turn their data into the form of questions. And I wrote a whole blog series on how to do this, but I'd basically say, based on the data collect that you're collecting, 
I am guessing these are the 200 questions you're trying to answer. And what I would do is I put it in a spreadsheet and I would then meet with the business people and say, can you rate how important these 200 questions are? And what was funny is a lot of times, 125 of them, they'd be like, we don't care about that at all. And I would, in the same company that I would go to and say, you should get rid of all this data because this seems stupid. They'd be like, no, we can't get rid of the data. But then I would take those business questions, which were lined up with the data. The business people would say, we don't give a crap about any of those questions. So by the transitive theory, why do we need that data? So what I would, what I define as a use case is those are business questions, but I think you group business questions into a little bit of a higher level. And I think of a use case as this is something that we can do because we have this vendor and this data. So I'll give you an example. I was working with a financial company and they said to me, we have a chat on our website and we don't know if we should have chat or not. And we also have a search on our website. And we're seeing a lot of people are coming to our chat and we don't understand why they're not just going to search to find their answer. So to me, that screamed a use case of what is the scenario in which people are using chat and then search or search and then chat? Is it that our search is bad and they're resorting to chat or are they just going to chat and not even trying search? And so I wanted to enable a use case to say, should we have chat and search? How should they work together? And what is the relationship between them? That is an easy, boxed, discrete thing that you can answer with data. So what we did is we did an analysis and we did a little bit of tagging and said, I want to quantify how often people do a search and then within five minutes resort to chat. And they had no idea how often that happened. But once we quantified that, Then we were able to dig deeper and say, well, what are the search terms that are most often being used that are then leading to chat? And what it turned out was that there were like five terms that were the biggest culprits. So then once we knew that, as soon as they search on those terms, we put a special little box on the website with specific content, and it dramatically killed the amount of that was going to chat. And chat, as you know, is more expensive as a service model. So then we were able to put a dollar amount of how much money they saved in reducing chat because of this thing. So that's like an example of one use case. And it's not easy, but it took a little bit of time, a little bit of tagging, a little bit of analysis, and it had an ROI associated with it. And I could easily wrap that with a bow and say, Adam Greco helped you save this much money because of this one use case. What's next? And it got them hungry for other use cases And it's really just an example where you can prove the data is helping you. And I get all pumped up when I do this because it's like really exciting to be able to say, I, at the end of the day, I did something really good and I helped the client. But I think too few of the customers out there are challenging themselves to come up with those use cases where I can go to my boss and prove that we use data to do some good here and either save money or make money. And back to the earlier question about AI, if you think back to that use case, that example, which part of that could an AI have done instead of an analyst who understood the problem the company was facing instead of the content team, the search engine optimization team that understood what was and wasn't available in that search filter? Yeah, I mean, maybe 10 years from now, an AI would automatically surface the fact that, hey, we notice a lot of people who are searching are ultimately doing chat. 
I don't know. I still find it hard to believe. I mean, I think that's like Star Trek level stuff where <laughs> that's going to just automatically happen. But I agree with you that now AI could have helped of like doing some of the analysis, but coming up with the ideas like that's always going to be a human thing. And that's why I don't think uh, computers are going to ever replace us fully. So beyond the tool itself, one of the things that Amplitude is pretty famous for you've trademarked is the idea of a North Star metric and understanding what is your North Star metric and then optimizing toward it. So can you explain what is a North Star metric? And then the thing that we run into a lot is that product teams, marketing teams, especially teams working together, have a really hard time figuring out how many North Star metrics do we have? Which one should we choose? How would we even know? So what is a North Star metric? And then how can teams work better together to determine how many should they have? What should they be? Yeah. Um, and John Cutler will definitely, if you want to, I would recommend you have a whole session just on this with John Cutler. But the idea that I'm understanding, because I am new to the product world, but John has been indoctrinating me, is that it's not meant to be just one metric, but it is meant to be a metric that is applicable to multiple groups. So the goal of it is not to just come up with this perfect metric, but it's to get groups to work together instead of working separately. And I'll give you an example of this. When I worked at Salesforce, um, I was in charge of digital analytics and we had free trials on our website and we would buy Google keywords, get people to the website. And my team's job was to get people to fill out a form. Once they filled out the form, like we were done, they were now in a free trial experience and it went over to the product team. Kind of like we talked about earlier, I was in the marketing team and then I handed it off to the product team. Now, my North Star metric was cost per lead. How much money am I spending for every person who fills out that form? But the product team's North Star metric was for everyone who starts a trial, how many become a customer? Those two are completely different. And in many cases, they could actually work against each other. For example, the product team would always be annoyed that we were bringing people who weren't the right people to do a free trial. So I'm just jacking up form completions, but they're like, you're giving me the wrong people. So that's hurting my North Star metric, even though yours is looking much better because you're getting more people to fill out a form. They're just not qualified people. So in my view, and again, John is better at this than me, I think of the North Star metric is how do we take a metric that isn't cost per lead and isn't the free trial, the conversion, but come up with something that if it goes up, I'm happy in marketing and product is happy as well. So it's, we're both happy if that metric goes up. At Amplitude, we have a North Star metric we use to track usage of our product. But that's, to me, I think the biggest thing. And you could have more than one, but I think as long as the metrics you're picking are ones that help the entire organization. And I also think they should be customer focused personally to make sure that the customer is benefiting, not just that the company is benefiting if that number goes up. Yeah, I think generally you want to think about your customer journey and especially your monetization paths and think about what behaviors drive value. So like Spotify is an easy one. You're going to want a North Star metric that just gets people to start using a free version of Spotify. But then your North Star metric to understand what do you want them to do after they upgrade to a subscribed version or a paid version of Spotify is going to be really different to ensure that they stay with that product for a long period of time. So when I think about how many, I think for every tier of value or every action that really differentiates the value proposition you have with that customer, you probably have a different North Star metric for what behavior you want to try to drive to improve the odds that you're going to retain 
that customer or be able to drive a difference in value with them over time in terms of adoption. I think a few of these, I didn't know this example, but somebody on my team said like the Facebook seven friends example. I'm curious if you knew what that. That was like one of that original. Yeah, I think it's once you make seven friends, like Facebook became sticky. Okay. All you need are seven friends on Facebook and then you'll keep using. Yeah. And at that point, you're kind of hooked and addicted. Yeah. I don't use Facebook, so I'm not in that demographic. (laughs) So I'll ask a selfish question that comes from my team. Given all the changes you're seeing in the analytics space and the convergence of tooling, what skills do you think are most important for digital analytics practitioners to learn, upskill on over the next five years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'll start by saying what I don't think is the good skills. And I think a lot of times people put too much emphasis on learning a specific vendor and vendors change. So I think the best skills that I would focus on, we've talked a little bit about this, is really critically thinking about how could I use data to improve the business and come up with these use cases that we talked about. I think that for many organizations, digital analytics is viewed as a cost center. It's basically something that you just have to have, like you have to have computers, you have to have servers, you have to have chairs, phones, we have to have analytics. But I think that's the wrong mindset. And I think that if I were young in this industry, I would say to myself, how can I show my company that using my skills and whatever data and vendors that we use, I can actually do analyses that are going to save the company money or make the company money and basically turn myself, my team, and our whole analytics program into a profit center. When I was at Salesforce, we kept a spreadsheet of how much money we felt that we were adding to the bottom line based on the learnings that we had. And in order to to become a profit center, one of the things that companies don't do enough of is experimentation. So I think there's not enough people out there who really understand the fundamentals of experimentation and rapid iteration using data There's one gentleman out there who I'm a big fan of named Matt Gershoff. And if your listeners aren't familiar with Matt Gershoff, you should Google him because he's great at kind of teaching experimentation and and all that stuff. But but I basically think you've got to learn how to use data to iterate because that's the skill that will always be there. And as we talked about earlier, coming up with those use cases or scenarios that you can think of where you could use data to save or make a company money, you will always be valuable and you will always move up the ranks. But I also think that there are some hard skills that I wish I had. When I was young, we didn't know JavaScript. I don't think there was JavaScript. Knowing statistics is really important these days. And I have kids who are in college and it's amazing to me how much statistics they're learning. They're learning SQL. So I think understanding just a lot about the underlying architecture of data and databases is becoming more and more important because our field is becoming more and more technical every single year. And if you can, if you don't have those skills, you're not going to be able to keep up or you're going to end up just moving into like more of a people management role, which is fine. But I always get more excited when I'm doing more hands-on roles. I love the profit center framing. And I know you wrote a blog post on that too, because I got advice recently that we're not selfish enough as a team and we use our data to help show the impact that the design team had with the new design or the impact that this new feature that the engineering team built. And we help other teams build their case studies and we don't normally take the step back to say, and here's how the insights we found 
fed into those teams, which led to those changes. Yeah. And so we never do that stuff to make our own case studies that support those. And one last weird one I'll throw out there is if you're a student listening to this, take at least one theater class. Because the best thing that ever happened to me when I was in middle school, I was in an acting group and I traveled around and did plays. And it made me confident to get up on stage and talk and present in front of people. And it helped me understand how to tell stories. And if you can get into some sort of an acting field or theater or literature, like something where you learn how to tell stories, because you have to be able to communicate data emotionally, or you're not going to convince your executives to do the things you want them to do. That's exceptional. Awesome. Well, Adam, we have, I think, probably could go another hour uh, just like nerding out on analytics. And I know we have a list of questions that we've been skimming like, oh, we didn't even get to ask this. We'll do a part two. Part two. (laughs) We'll do a part two. And you've dropped a lot of good knowledge uh, bombs. Curious, just uh, we'll exit you with two just fun questions that we've been asking a lot of our guests. Um, I'll let Billy ask her favorite one before. And I know she knows what I'm talking about. But before I let her do that, Anything outside of the analytics world that you're super jazzed up about that you're watching or reading that you'd love to share with our listeners? What's got your attention right now outside of analytics? Yeah, this is sound strange, but I have been on a mission lately. During the pandemic, I bought a record player, you know, old fashioned turntable. And my new kind of fascination is walking around. I like to walk a lot. So walk around neighborhoods and going to yard sales and looking for old (laughs) records and going to old vintage shops and looking at records. And this last weekend, um, I happened to find two records and I literally spent a couple hours just sitting and listening to them doing nothing. (laughs) And it's just really fun to like find these old records, you know, clean them up a little bit and just sit and veg out and listen to these old LPs. It's just, to me, it's really fun. Yeah. That's great. Are you willing to share what one of them was? Come on. I mean, no judgment on the music taste. So I bought one for myself, which was a James Taylor record that I loved when I was Mm -hmm. younger. And it literally has like 10 of his greatest hits. And then one that I found that's really hard to find unless you want to spend a fortune is I got for my wife, but I like it too, is Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Nice. Probably one of the (laughs) greatest albums of all time. And you just put it on and there's like songs you don't even know that you know, but somehow you just know all the words too. And so I tend to go a little old school. I have a lot of Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, Police. Um, I recently got a four album of The Police, uh, every song, basically the greatest hits, The Police. And I could listen to that all day long. And and a funny little story during the (laughs) pandemic, I have all the Beatles albums. We spent a lot of time playing games, doing puzzles with my son, who was home during his last year of high school. And literally, my son now knows every word to every Beatles song. I don't think he knows that he knows it, but I could see him mouthing along (laughs) every Beatles song, which I think is one of my proudest parenting accomplishments. Amen. That's a good life skill to send your kid off to. If you find yourself uh, in Charlottesville, let me know and I can take you on a tour of all our record shops. Will do. Will do. I know the places to go. It's true. Yeah. Jeremy is the unofficial mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia, which is his backup (laughs) job. Okay. My favorite question, very similar vein, I hope for the same enthusiasm. I always like to invite our guests to talk positive trash about a brand that they love and just declare... Who do you think is doing great things in terms of user experience right now? Who are you truly loyal to and why? What makes them great? Well, the heart, it's such an easy one to say, but I I am really a big fan of Apple. I have been 
blown away by how they've transitioned their whole business to a subscription service. Uh, for me, I'm very loyal. Like I've loved all of the shows that I've watched on Apple Plus. You know, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. Been watching. Um, there's a show called Trying that I just love. So I just think that they've really. But I mean, I use their phone, I use their computer, and I know some people are like anti Apple, and it's like you're kind of sucked into the ecosystem. But if you do let that go, like I feel like my life <laughs> has gotten a lot easier. And I do believe that they stand for good things. And especially, even though it kind of hurts me at sometimes in my day job, I do think they take the right stance with privacy. So I just think that they've done an amazing job, just well-rounded company, doing a great job of almost everything they touch, they do really well. I'm dying to know if they're going to come out with a car. I have a Tesla and I've had a bunch of issues with it. So it'd be interesting to see if they come up with a competing car because I would probably go for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I know it's a cliche one. I could probably come up with smaller brands, but I do really like that brand. I would be remiss if I didn't give you one minute to answer this question. I know we are pushing on time, but I don't want anyone who listens to this podcast to walk away and think, oh man, we'll just stick with like Google Analytics. That's what we've got. It's easy. It's basic. It's accessible. Especially if somebody hasn't used Amplitude before, they may not understand based on this conversation, how accessible, how usable, how friendly Amplitude is. So will you just for a minute talk about what Amplitude does that Google can never do? Yeah, that's hard in a minute, but um, <laughs> but it is, you know, I mean, Google Analytics is a good product, but I think the, what I've learned in talking to a number of companies is that, as we talked about, the world is moving a lot more over towards product and Google Analytics is just, it's not a product product, you know, it's not meant for product teams. I actually did a blog post recently where I asked product teams what they thought of Amplitude versus a Google Analytics and had some amazing responses. But I think if you want to combine marketing and product, Google Analytics is just not going to do it for you. Now, maybe five years from now, maybe it will. But I think people are so enamored with Google just because it's ubiquitous out there. But at the end of the day, Google Analytics really at its heart is a front end to Google ads. It's a way to get people to buy more advertising. And the joke that I have is, do you want to invest in a platform where you're buying data and analytics to make your own company money? Or are you looking to make Google more money? Now, granted, that's a little facetious because obviously you could use Google Analytics to help improve your apps and stuff. But it's not really what its core thing was meant to do. And I could go on for like hours of all the different feature differences. But at the end of the day, Google will try to move into product analytics. It'll take a couple of years. We have already moved into marketing analytics. So if you want one platform that can effectively do all that you need in marketing and product analytics right now, Amplitude is really one of the only vendors out there that can do that. Awesome. Well, Adam, before we say goodbye, you've referenced your blog a couple of times. Where can users uh, find you, follow you on LinkedIn or your blog? Just get a chance to let our users know where they can follow some of the great content that you put out there. Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So it's just LinkedIn slash Adam Greco. My blog, I'm sure, is Amplitude.com something blog. I would just Google Adam Greco Amplitude blog. My blog posts tend to be not 100% all rah-rah amplitude. I try to talk about things that I see that are going on in the industry. So I know a lot of people are afraid of vendor blogs, but um, I try to keep mine pretty agnostic and not as biased as some that I've read. 
But yeah, so feel free to reach out. I'm happy to connect to anyone on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate you giving us your time today and our listeners some of your expertise. And yeah, have a great day. Cheers. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. 